Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Mark chapter 10, Luke chapter 17, and I need to let you know something. We are going to get stuck in Mark chapter 10 for quite a while. The reason being is we're going to be talking about the one another, relationships, marriage, friend, marriage, <laughs> friends. You know what? I don't, amen. Were you single? Who just... <laughs> God bless you. All right. Um, Well, we're obviously excited about marriage. Um, We're going to be talking about friendships, relationships, husband, wife, children, raising our children in fear of the Lord. Jesus talks about marriage and family. So we're going to get stuck in there for just a little while. So um, if you are struggling in relationships, I'm going to give you a warning. Go ahead and make your marriage good this week. Um, So that next week you won't feel so convicted. Amen? Amen? (laughs) Yes, Mark 10, Luke 17. Um, I need to make a correction. Who was baptized yesterday? If you were baptized, raise your hand. Just we want to see you. Raise your hand. You guys give them a high five. Come on. Yes. Great job. Our video said there were 86 people. There were actually 87. I want to make sure that you know there were 87 people baptized. So, uh, so thankful about what the Lord did here on our property, right on the pavement of L.A. Um, I asked one lady, I said, as she was getting ready to baptize, I was getting ready to baptize, I was like, now, how long do I need to hold you under? Like, how sinful are you? <laughs> she goes... Well, I would drown. And I go, (laughs) and I said, that's the point. You are being buried with Christ in baptism, and you're going to be raised to walk in the newness of life. Amen? Now, I want to talk about the newness of life, especially because we're going to be talking about relationships. Do you know that the newness of life actually applies to the parking lot at Calvary Chapel South Bay? Do you know you can be a Christian when you pull into our parking lot? Somebody say amen. Amen. (laughs) Don't run over our parking ministry volunteers. That's not Christian. Now, and as well, could you maybe leave a few spaces up front for our visitors and for our older, I mean, excuse me, seasoned saints, okay? Um, They don't want to walk. Now, listen, I don't know if you know this. We have a parking lot all the way, all the way in Egypt, okay? And it'll be like a reminder. We are being delivered out of Egypt and coming into the promised land. Amen? So you can park in the Hamilton lot, which is, um, and I love the fact that we have a parking problem. You know what that means? People are getting saved. It's exciting. So you can park over behind the children's ministry building in the Hamilton lot. Look at his Egypt, and as you come through the building, the children's ministry building, think of it like passing through the Red Sea. Make it an adventure. Passing through the Red Sea and into the promised land. And you can work out all your bad attitude before you get here. Amen? (laughs) That was called discipleship. Would you pray with me? Lord, I love this 830 crew. They just love you. And I just love the way they love you. And they hunger for your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we dig deep into the one another, that you would bless our relationships Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been out of Mark for a little bit, so I need to do a little bit of review. Mark has been expressing the teaching of Jesus. Do you remember? It was found in Mark chapter 9. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, that's a difficult lesson for everybody, isn't it? 
and it was especially difficult for the disciples, we at least have the Holy Spirit to help us understand it and to apply it to our lives. They were lacking of the Holy Spirit at this time of their, fit, uh, their Christian walk. But it's not difficult for an athlete to understand. Every athlete knows that pain comes before the glory. My coach used to tell me, pain is weakness working out of you. That's what my coach used to tell me. But the disciples, they had a different philosophy. They wanted the gold medal without any of the pain. You see, they were hanging out with the Son of God. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And let me tell you, they were thinking more about the perks than the pain. I mean, we get fed. We get a job. We get to walk on water. I mean, this is really cool. We got a great gig. We're hanging out with the Son of God. What's this whole go to the cross thing, Jesus? A little too much for me. Yet Jesus... He was telling them about the cross because there's always a cross before the crown. This went right over their heads. And we find ourselves with Pastor Jeff's last teaching, we find ourselves with the disciples in an argument about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Sometimes I feel we feel that way when we drive into the parking lot. No, I'm the greatest. That spot's for me. That's why I prepped you for it. You see, our disciples have now been together for several months. Guards are down. Tensions are high. Personalities are beginning to rub them the wrong way. The honeymoon is over. And maybe it sounds like the second month of your marriage. Do you remember when it used to be cute that he left his underwear on the floor? Do you remember when burnt chicken used to be great? It was so sweet and romantic. You tried. They have survived several storms in the Sea of Galilee together, but now they're trying to survive being around each other, and they are arguing amongst themselves. So what Jesus did in Mark chapter 9, he gives an entire discourse to express to them the importance of being at peace with one another. And the way that he described this, amen, was through personal sacrifice. It's the continuation of the lesson to deny yourself. And Jesus, he's providing the key to unlock how to have a successful relationship with the teaching of denying yourself. Take a look. It's Mark chapter 9. It's where we'll pick it up. Right there. Don't turn any. Go back to Mark 9. Just look up a few verses from Mark 10. Mark chapter 9, verse 49. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Now remember, they used a salt where it would lose its flavor. It wasn't uh, iodized as it is today. Have salt in yourselves and have peace, and maybe you'll underline this in your Bible. It'll be the theme of our next several weeks. Have peace with one another. Now, did you read what he said? He's given a very practical advice. They're in the middle of an argument, and Jesus says everyone's going to be seasoned with fire. Everyone's going to have arguments. Relationships are hard. In fact, wherever there are people, there are going to be problems. Wherever there are people, because the greatest issue of humankind is human nature. We are self-centered. Someone say, amen. Amen. We are always thinking about me, myself, and I. There's a country song about it. There's a rap song about it. There's a reggae song about it. There's a classical song about it. In fact, every genre of music. There are magazines about it. You can buy self-magazine if you so desire. You see, we're always thinking about ourselves. Research has actually shown 
that the human being has about 6,200 thoughts a day. 6,200. And 95% of them about ourselves. What shall I eat? What shall I wear? Where shall I go? What do I feel about what they just said? What do I feel about them? (laughs) We're always thinking about ourselves. Actually, I'm sorry, that was not true. 5% of the time we think about other people. We think about other things. And he says everyone will be seasoned with fire. Relationships are hard. You're going to come in contact with a thorny person. And then he says every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. If you want to be in relationships, he's giving great practical advice. Sacrificing self is just going to be a part of it. Remember, Mark is continuing the lesson. Deny yourself. Sacrificing yourself is just going to be part of being in relationship. You will need to learn the art of denying self to be able to do the one another. Do you know this phrase, one another, is written over a hundred times in the New Testament? Over a hundred times. The one another is a very big deal with God. In fact, in order to sacrifice self, you're going to need some salt. Now, I don't know if you know, but salt brings flavor. Oh, have you ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? Anyone ever been? I lived in Brazil. I need to tell you a story about Pastor Zach. You see, Brazilian steakhouses are not as expensive in Brazil as they are here. And so one time, Pastor Zach and myself, we went to a steakhouse for lunch. Pastor Zach thought it would be a great idea if we just stayed right through till dinner. (laughs) And they served us steak from lunch all the way to dinner. And can I tell you, I stopped eating around 2. He kept going till 7.30. (laughs) It's amazing what that man can eat, especially if you put a little bit of that Brazilian rock salt on it. Oh, it makes it so good. I wanted to learn the art of making Brazilian steak. So I came in contact with a Brazilian family, and they showed me the kind of salt to buy and how to salt it and then what to do with it. There's nothing like a little bit of salt to add flavor to any meal. Now, some of you are going, Pastor Chet, we haven't had breakfast yet. Just put a little salt on your eggs. Put, on your, uh, 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 put a little salt on uh, your hand. Put a little salt on all of your food. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. Pastor Chet, please stop. As believers, what Jesus is making very clear is that we're to bring the flavor of salt, the flavor of salt, the flavor of Christ to our relationships a little dash of Christ into our relationships. And what Mark doesn't do, Luke does for us. Luke is actually going to fill us into the details so that we can understand what is the salt of a relationship that Jesus is talking about. Go with me to Luke chapter 17. Now, maybe you want to be thinking about your marriage. Maybe you want to be thinking about your friendships. Maybe you want to be thinking about the people at work at this point in the Bible study as we consider the one another. Take a look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. This is a continuation of the same story Jesus is trying to get across a point. Take a look. Then he said to his disciples, It's impossible that no offenses should come. Uh, Maybe you might circle that word offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. The disciples are in a fight and listen to what Jesus says about fighting. Offenses are going to come. Don't you be the one that brings it. Jesus knows that people are going to offend us. He knows that people are going to offend us when we are in relationships. Let me tell you why. We all struggle with focusing on ourselves, 95% of our thoughts, instead of focusing on one another. In fact, our culture 
teaches us that if it's not about you, it's not worth it. That's what our culture teaches. As long as it benefits me, I'm in. But as soon as it doesn't benefit me, I'm out. The problem with this thinking is that no one is perfect. And no one person, I don't care how handsome he is. I don't care how hot she is. I don't care how great of a cook she is. And I don't care how much money he has. Listen, no one can perfectly satisfy, but we expect them to. We go into all relationships expecting that people are perfect. But I need to let you know something. I'm a sinner. Look at your friend. Tell him. I'm a sinner. Admit it. Go ahead, admit it. Can I let you know something? If you didn't say it, you're really a sinner. If you were too proud to look at your friend and say, I'm a sinner, then you need to say right now out loud, I am a sinner. Okay, listen to all the people that were too proud to say it. We are all sinners. And we come into relationships as sinners. Sinners. We're saved by grace, but we're sinners. But we're also, listen carefully, not only are we sinners, we've also been wounded. People have hurt us. And without realizing it, we have built walls and we have put up filters to look out for number one. In fact, it's even communicated in our culture. I know he hurt you. Now it's time to look out for yourself. You need to go do something for you. You need to make sure that you are taken care of. And without even realizing it, our culture is helping us build walls. Our culture is putting up filters. But the problem with filters is that I can't see you completely. I can only see pieces of you. I can only see part of you. And especially if the filter is dirty, it even closes my view of who the real you actually is. We've been wounded. So to have an expectation that every relationship is going to produce something good for you is a wrong way to go into a relationship. To go into a relationship thinking that you're never going to have an issue? Listen, premarital counseling. If a couple comes into me and they go, we've never been in an argument. He's just too cute. I love it. <laughs> and if he goes, you see her? <laughs> hey, babe, I'll never, never be upset with that beautiful princess. You know what I tell him? Go home. Have a fight. Come back. That's when we'll do the first premarital. <laughs> because it's not real. Even the dearest of relationships will experience heartache and pain. Two humans plus some time equals problems. Just ask our disciples. Two humans plus some time equals problems. Let all the married couples say, not too loudly. (laughs) Misunderstandings, misperceptions misbehaviors, misjudgments, or you're simply misread, eventually you will mishandle something and will lead to your misfortune. You might even begin to feel that misright is a mistake. (laughs) And I'm not talking about your wife. See, the problem is we revert to protecting ourselves and then we start exhibiting self-centered behaviors that actually exasperate the problem because you're also dealing with someone who's focused on themselves and self-centered and exhibiting their self-centered behaviors. So Jesus says, be careful. Offenses, they're going to come. Now, this word fence, it's an incredible word. It's where we get our word, English word, scandal. It's the Greek word scandalon. Now, let me tell you what this word scandal means. It's such a scandal. It's the trigger on a trap that when you put a little bait on that trap, as soon as the animal takes it, kata, I gotcha. We have a mouse in our house. And every night we set a little trap. You know why? 
we are hoping for that mouse to have some form of scandalous behavior where they will come out and think they are stealing a little piece of bait and then, ka-chang, we gotcha. We can't wait to celebrate Andre and I when we hear the snap of that scandalous mouse. You see, offenses are going to come. And because we're both self-centered people, it's like setting a trap when we go into an argument, tempting someone else in their self-centered behavior. It never wins. In Florida, just last week, one guy broke, uh, did a brake check in front of another guy. So the other guy sped around him and did a brake check because that's going to work. And then he went around him and brake checked. So you know what he did? He pulled over. And the other guy pulled over. And they shot at each other. And they shot each other's daughters. One five-year-old girl got shot in the arm. The other 14-year-old girl got shot in the lung. Because when you do self-centered things, expecting for a good outcome, it never works. In fact, the Bible calls it scandalous. It's scandalous. As believers, it's a scandalous thing, and it's a big deal with God. He says, it's better that you put a millstone around your neck and jump in when you and jump into the Sea of Galilee. It's better for you to jump into this huge body of water with a millstone around your neck than think that you can get away with being self-centered and doing something self-centered with a self-centered person and think something good is going to come out of it. See, we're not to be people of problem. We're to be people of peace. We represent the God of peace. In fact, the Bible says about Jesus, he's the prince of peace. He's the governor of peace. So if we're tempting people into a problem, to God, it's scandalous. If we go into a relationship self-centered and not, self de- and not denying ourselves, to God, that is scandalous. Because... Why would, you throw, why would you throw gasoline into an already lit situation with self-centeredness? Why not try what God says works and go into relationship with reality and deny self? Take a look. Luke 17. Let's pick it up now in verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, and this word if is also the word since, since you're going to have a brother offend you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. You know what I love about the gospel? The gospel gives us the tools to handle the problems of people if we would choose to deny ourselves like Jesus. Lisa said it best. Jesus left kingdom culture to come to our culture. I love that. And when he was here, the word of God, Jesus Christ, he told us the way to get to God. He communicated the truth in love. Lovingly, he explained the problem of our sin and its offense to God. Then, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us our sin. He had an attitude of forgiveness. He forgave us despite us. So first he communicated the truth. Then he died on the cross. He forgave us. And then thirdly, if we choose to repent, we can be in relationship. We can have union with God for an eternity. The humility of repentance restores our relationship with God. Did you hear that? The humility of repentance restores our relationship with God. So he's giving us tools of relationship. Honest communication, forgiveness, and repentance are tools that God is giving us for successful relationships. Let me explain. When we go into relationships, think of your marriage, think of your friendships, think of the people at work. When we go into relationships knowing that there's going to be a time that honest communication is going to come, then we're prepared to speak the truth in love. 
We need to communicate the truth in love. But we've got to go into the relationship knowing that that time is going to happen. We can't go into the relationship thinking to ourselves, everything's going to be perfect, everything's going to be fine. He will never bother me. Oh, this is the best working environment. And then all of a sudden in the third week, you hear in the cubicle next to you, and you hate slurping. It makes your knee begin to tap. But your knee tapping bothers the person next to you because they get upset when their knee taps. So what they do is they start tapping on the desk. So now we got this and this all happening in the cubicle. And then the next thing you know, this perfect work environment has turned into... But if you go into a relationship knowing that there's going to be a time that you're going to have to speak the truth, then you're already prepared because you will be loving. You're prepared. You see, obstacles will become opportunity for people in our lives to change, to become better people. When you walk into a relationship knowing that you're going to have to speak the truth in love. In fact, we begin to realize that when we are in relationship, we will become better people when people speak the truth to us in love. But we can't walk into it thinking that you're never going to have to. Issues are going to arise, and the way that Jesus is telling us to deal with it is speak to them. Expect it to happen, and speak to them the truth in love. But he also is getting across another point. we got to go into relationships knowing that we will need to give forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. We must purpose to forgive. we got a purpose to forgive. Can I tell you this? It's gonna, this is going to blow your mind. Like, you're going to be, wow, I didn't know that. No one is perfect. <laughs> so could you guys stop expecting me to be perfect? Because I definitely don't think you're perfect. I've been out in the parking lot. (laughs) See, forgiveness sets you free from the destructive roots of bitterness and resentment. If you're willing to be forgiving, it's actually protecting you from being mean, ornery, and cantankerous. Because that's the fruit of bitterness and resentment. That's the fruit of being bitter and resentment. Thirdly, we go into relationships knowing that people will need to apologize for something they did, and so will we. He says, we got to repent. We purpose to humbly repent. We're going to practice right now. Everyone out loud say, let's just let it fly. I'm going to start it, and then you say it, okay? I was wrong. Go ahead, say it. I was wrong. Doesn't it feel good? No. There is nothing that feels good about, I'm, I'm, well, you know it was your fault. I'm sorry. I just did that to my wife yesterday. Ah, so convicted. I was upset and I said to her, well, you know, you did this, but I'm sorry. I might as well be honest. So you'll stop expecting me to be perfect because I don't expect you to be perfect. And we've got to go into relationships expecting to apologize. We've got to humbly repent. Let me tell you what the problem is. The problem is the self-centeredness of sin. And I'm going to prove it to you. Let's look at our first human relationship. The very first one. Adam and Eve. There in the perfect Garden of Eden. Now, they didn't have these tools of repentance and forgiveness and communication. Like, they didn't have these tools that Jesus had given them. He's just speaking these to the disciples. So they didn't have the tools. And everything was fine until they wanted something for themselves. I want the apple. I want it. And I'm going to eat it. And this snake just told me I should. 
You know what blows my mind? Is that we listen to the snake every single day on commercials. Take this drug. You could die of this, this. It'll even give you diarrhea for the rest of your life. But go ahead and take it. Well, of course I'll take it. Listen to the snake all the time. And there is Eve listening and talking to a snake. Adam, open your eyes and say to your wife, what are you doing talking to a snake? But they wanted it for themselves. And as soon as self-centered sin entered into the world, what did they do? They started protecting themselves. Two self-centered people went into an argument, and what did they do? It's your fault. Finger-pointing, blame-shifting, accusations. Because when you go into an argument with a self-centered person, thinking that self-centeredness is going to work, all it does is explode. Two simple people will always have the problem of the cycle of self-centeredness. Jesus is giving us a way to break the cycle. See, choosing to live in the grace of the gospel provides the tools to come out of the self-centered cycle. And the tool that he's giving us is communication, is forgiveness, and humble repentance. It didn't work for Adam and Eve to be self-centered. And it's not worked for any relationship since. What do you think about walking into a self-centered, with a self-centered person and doing it a self-centered way? Do you think it's actually going to work for you? And they have to ask yourself the question, has it? But your action to deny self by offering forgiveness and repentance actually breaks the cycle, and it only takes one to do it. It only takes one. It will actually produce the relationship you're looking for. Now look at Luke 17.5. Look how the disciples respond, because I see some of your faces. Okay? I see some of your faces. You are responding exactly like the disciples. Look what they say. And the apostles said to the Lord... Increase our faith. Shocked. You want us to be forgiving and humble, repenting people? The disciples are basically saying, are you serious? That's a hard way to live. You see, they had the romantic approach to life. They lived in the place where there should never be any arguments. I mean, that's Christian. Everything should always feel great, and I should always feel personally gratified, and I should always feel like everything is great, and I'm walking through a a field of posies, and you're giving them to me, and I'm giving some. Don't ever give me flowers, okay? But my point is, it's like we're walking in this winter wonderland of goodness. You might even be saying, listen, if it's not romantic, and if it's not always good, and if it doesn't satisfy me, then it's not worth it if it's too hard. There's our culture. This is what the entertainment, the entertainment world and the social media world has produced. If it's not romantic, it's not worth it. Get out of it. But that's not what Jesus is teaching. And all they show you in the entertainment world and all they show you in uh, 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 the social media world are the visuals. They don't actually show you the reality. Do you realize behind every happy Instagram face, every happy Instagram face, it really is your family Christmas photo. You remember your family Christmas photo? I don't want to smile! Everyone smile! I hate him! Right after the picture's done. Every Instagram picture is that. Just imagine that for just a moment. What your Christmas photo is is what an Instagram photo is. It catches just a moment, not the reality. See, the reality of life is that if it is hard, it is worth it. But our culture throws out commitment. We don't have to be committed to anything. Nothing. We're not committed to a church. We're not committed to a community. We're not committed to anything, to anywhere. We have thrown commitment right now. I'm not speaking about Calvary Chapel South Bay. I am speaking about the world. We are not a committed culture. But let me tell you the truth. If it's hard, it is worth it. 
Ask the college student studying for finals trying to pass. Or the doctor doing their residency so that they can become a full doctor. Most importantly, if you're going to ask anyone, ask the Lord if dying on the cross was worth being in relationship with you. Ask him. He set the example of what it takes to be in relationship, and it cost him his life. That's why Scripture teaches this. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Stop thinking 95% about you. He says, or conceit. In other words, your ego is too involved with the way that you think. But... In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Someone say, But this verse is going to take some commitment because 95% of the time we think of who? Me. So Jesus responds. Take a look at Luke chapter 17, verse 6. So the Lord said, now keep that in mind. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Let me tell you what Jesus is trying to get across. Even in the most impossible relational mess, just do what I'm telling you to do. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And I know you think moving this mulberry tree is a big deal. But if you can have the faith of a mustard, just a small amount of faith, just a small amount of faith, if you can simply... Now remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. He just told them to communicate, be forgiving, and repent. There's the mustard seed of faith. Three little words. If you can just take that mustard seed of faith and put it into practice, it works. And it works because I spoke it. And then you choose to obey it. If I said to this mulberry tree, get up and move, it would get up and move. Why don't you obey me like the mulberry tree obeys me? Now, let me tell you something about mulberry trees. Mulberry trees need a lot of water to bear fruit. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's walking down the road, and as he's communicating, he sees this mulberry tree. He goes, look, here's a mulberry tree, and there's the Sea of Galilee. I could say to this tree, get up and be moved and be closer to the water. And you will see this mulberry tree that's not bearing fruit away from the water. Once I put it near the water, it will start bearing fruit because mulberry trees need wet soil to bear fruit. That's why the Spirit of God is called living water. That if we plant our tree near the living water of the Spirit and allow Him to guide us into the fact that this is true, communicating the truth in love, being a person of forgiveness, and choosing to repent when you've done something wrong, you're going to bear fruit in your relationships and end the cycle of Adam and Eve. It's just true. Then he gives a story. Take a look. He gives a story to prove his point about obedience, if you just do it. Take a look what he says. And which of you having a servant, plowing or tending sheep? Now, remember, there were more slaves in the Roman world than there were freed people. So this is a very understood understood illustration. Which of you having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he's coming from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he rather not say, so the master, will he rather not say to him, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself, serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which are commanded, say, we're unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. You're making a big deal of forgiveness. You think forgiveness and repentance is such a big deal because you're so self-centered. And the story that Jesus is giving is actually a story about himself. You see, Jesus did what the Father asked him to do. 
He died on a cross to restore our relationship with God. His act of humility, being the servant, his act of humility of being a servant to the Father, even being obedient to the death on a cross, sets an example for us to have this same flavor in our relationships. We're to be forgiving when people repent. We're to repent and seek forgiveness ourselves. We have to expect that people are going to bring problems because we naturally focus on ourselves, but supernaturally we can flavor with repentance and forgiveness because of the example of Jesus, the gospel. It's worth it. Now let's go back to chapter Mark and see the illustration now that Mark gives us. So we just filled in the pieces as to what the salt is, communicating the truth in love and forgiveness and repentance. And now Mark wants to continue to teach this lesson of what it means to deny yourself, to flavor your relationships with salt. Remember, the disciples are in a fight, and he knows that human beings, if there's more than two, there's going to be a problem. So he remembers an example of Christ being at peace in his relationships even with his enemy. He also uses the most intimate of relationships, marriage. Because marriage, let me tell you something, your husband or wife, your spouse can bless you like no one else can, but they can also hurt you like no one else can. Amen? And he uses the most intimate of relationships, marriage, to illustrate his point. That when we apply the gospel to our relationships, we can move mulberry trees. We can bear fruit in our marriage. We can bear fruit in our friendships. We can bear fruit at work with the people that we work with. We can walk into relationship with reality and choose to put spirituality in, and that flavor will change us and them. Take a look at Mark chapter 10. Let's see what Mark thought of to be able to get his point across. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, He answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. And then Jesus gives an answer that we'll dig into next week. And it silences the Pharisees. Now, I need to help you understand why this is such a big deal and why Mark is using this. Jesus is on the east side of the Jordan, and the east side of the Jordan is the region called Perea. And that may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to Mark chapter 10. The geography is important Because this area is controlled by Herod Antipas. Now that name should ring a bell. Because he's the one who had John the Baptist beheaded over the issue of divorce. Yep. John had challenged Herod Antipas about an unlawful Jewish divorce. And it cost him his life. So let me tell you what the Pharisees are doing. In the region of Herod Antipas, they're basically hoping that Jesus will answer their question the same way that John the Baptist did and that Herod will have him killed. Let's get rid of the John the Baptist problem. Let's get rid of the Jesus problem. They want Jesus dead. Now, I don't know what you're thinking, but this is a huge relational problem between Jesus and the people in his world. 
huge. And they won't let it go, just like the person at work. They will not let it go. The Bible says they asked him. It's not a real great Greek, uh, a real great English translation. They kept asking, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus. I mean, it was going on. They kept doing it over and over and over. They wouldn't let it go. The Bible says they were testing him on purpose. They had set a trap for him to be scandalized. Some of us are in relationship with people like this. They're out to get us, or we at least feel that they are. Now, I hope it's not your spouse, but it could be. These are people in your world who prefer nothing better than to see your demise. You've even done them no harm. But you being you is offensive even enough to them. And I don't know what it is that you do. I'm not sure what it is. But whatever it is, you are not satisfying their self-centered world. Their lives revolve around satisfying themselves. And for some reason, you are threatening that. Maybe it's like the Pharisees. Jesus got a big crowd. Everyone's following him. They're not following us. And there's a little jealousy going on. Maybe it's a colleague at work who wants the promotion that you seem to threaten. Could be a friend. And the guy she likes, likes you. Who knows? Wherever there are two people, there's going to be a potential for a problem because we all walk into relationships self-centered 95% of the time. Take a look at verse 3. He answered and said to them, Now, remember in Luke 17 where I read over three times, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said? Usually that's how the Bible refers to it, the Lord said. But here in Mark chapter 10, he adds a word. He answered and said. It doesn't say he said, like Luke 17. He answered and said. Let me tell you what this word answered means. This word means he had discretion and discernment in what he was about to say next. He was in the fire of relationships, and he was making the decision to flavor it with the salt of the gospel. He answered. While they were out to destroy him, he was going to turn this obstacle into an opportunity to be the person of peace that we're called to be. He answered and then said. He would answer with truth. He didn't hide from the truth, but he spoke the truth in love. He would answer ready to be forgiving because he, this, these people are against him. They want him dead. He knows where they're at. He entered in this to be forgiving even to the point of the cross where he would say to the very same people in Mark chapter 10 while he was on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They're self-centered. They don't even realize it. And I'm going to show them how to end the cycle of self-centeredness by dying on the cross and offering forgiveness. Now, church, you can end the cycle of self-centeredness. And it may be hard, but it's worth it. Ask Jesus. It's worth it. We now have relationship with God because Jesus chose to deny himself and be the person of peace. He flavored the world with his salt and it changed your life. And what Jesus is saying is, if you follow my example, your life will change and everyone else is around you. The Adam and Eve way doesn't work. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the glory of your word. Thank you for the privilege of peace. And I pray now in Jesus' name that you would move in this place. This is one of the most important moments of our time together where we allow the Spirit to move. Because I believe God wants to heal 
relationships today. I believe that. I believe he wants to heal marriages. I believe that he wants to heal friendships. I believe that he wants to heal your situation at work. But it's going to take you taking a step of faith. It's the humility of repentance. I've got a relationship issue that needs to be solved in my life. And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and take a step of faith. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to go out into your world and take a step of faith to be forgiving when you don't feel it. That's why the disciples said, increase our faith. This is, I can't believe this. You're going to have to take a step of faith to trust that going to a cross is worth it to be in relationship. You're a believer. But I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith so that your relationships can be healed. But if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, no other relationship can be healed until you heal the relationship that you have with God. He sent His Son so that you could be in relationship with Him. And His Son died on the cross. He sacrificed His life. He denied Himself so there can be union with you and God. And if you were brought by a friend today, let me tell you something. This is where your friend is a real friend and they speak the truth to you in love and they say right now, listen, I brought you here because you need Jesus and I'll go up with you and I'll hold your hand and I will be with you. But you need Jesus. That's what real friends do. And so if today's your day of step of faith where you want to heal a relationship, maybe you grabbed your spouse's hand and you and your wife, you come forward. And you take a step of humility and you say, I was wrong. I know it hurts, but it will make it better. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys and we'll see you next week.